difference with me when I do what I do, I do what I'm doing, but I'm doing it like I'm doing it for TV. That's right, we are back for another episode of What the Football Podcast. I'm your host, Conway T. I'm joined by my co-host, Rudds, and Wade is back. Yes, I know we had a number of listeners last week actually missing Wade. One particular uh, listener said, we missed the Arsenal commentary from Wade, and he left himself open to a bit of abuse from the panel. So, great to have (laughs) Wade back. Great to have you back, Wade. Uh, You took your sabbatical, and now you're back. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks, Connell. I'm gutted I missed it, actually. I was uh, taking shots left, right, and center, so we're going to have to make up for it tonight. Sorry, guys. You're going to have to carry the show. carries United. <laughs> exactly. And Rads, you back again. Welcome. Um, good good week to have no games so we can refresh, um, you know, get over the disappointments of what United have been producing over the last few weeks and, and, and start looking forward to a week ahead. A hundred percent. And, you know, we always say that international break always comes at the wrong time. Well, some might say it comes at the right time after United drop more points in that previous game week. But um, I guess we open up into this into this week, guys. And, you know, we want to change gears a little bit. We are going to touch on, uh, I guess, still have our opening segment. Um, I guess our moments of the week, if you will, um, is probably going to pave that way. We're probably going to dive into and. Maybe evoke a few memories from our listeners and talk about, you know, the old players in the Premier League that really brought out uh, particular emotions in us from the past. So we're going to dive into all the old questions. I'm going to ask the panel a few questions on some of the players that they rate as their top 10 and then dive really deep into the top three players that they consider. Um, and not necessarily the best players, but ultimately their favorite players, who they enjoyed watching. Um, so I guess a bit of a fun, nostalgic uh, um session that we're going to have today. So I guess we'll get straight into it and, and actually talk about the first segment, which is, of course, none other than um, our moment of the week. And I guess, it, you know, everything points to one thing. Newcastle have been taken over by the Saudis. Um, you know, an absolute astronomical uh, player now at the table that makes uh, Sheikh Mansour from Manchester City look like he's, he's cheaper, he's, um, his poor brother, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I guess I wanted to get the panel's ex- uh, opinions on, on a few things. I will, I will touch on some stats, but, uh, Newcastle's takeover guys might start with you, Wade, since we missed you last week. What do, what do you make of it really quick? Yeah, look, um, I have to be a little bit envious as an Arsenal fan. You know, we've been stuck with an owner who's notoriously stingy. Um, so, you know, you, you can't help but look on with a bit of envy, but, you know, I guess from a Newcastle perspective, a great day for the club, great day for their fans. They've obviously endured a lot of suffering under uh, Mike Cashley for the last 14 years, you know, in and out of relegation. Um, you know, it seemed like 17th was their their goal, you know, every year for the last 14 years, just trying to survive. And, you know, when you look at that fan base, um, it's, a, it's a one club, one city club, one club city. Well, you know, you know what I mean. Um, they love their football up there, 50,000 at St. James's Park, some of the loudest fans you'll ever come across. So, you know, a really good day for them. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out now. So, 
um, you know, I guess another team that we've now got to got to keep our eye on, and, and hopefully we don't fall further into the abyss. But um, you know, good good for Newcastle fans. Exciting times for the Premier League as well. We're going to see obviously some more quality coming into the league. Um, you know. So it's it's going to be fun to watch, um, I guess, from a neutral perspective. So, yeah, we'll see how it all pans out. Rads, I just want to ask you a question. Has the top six now become potentially the top seven? Yeah, that is a good question. And I don't think so. I think uh, it's a case of someone will fall out. Um, we won't be able to have a top seven unless the league gets so strong that we get another uh, spot in the Champions League, uh, which could happen if uh, that coefficient rating is, is that high and, and English teams are doing so well that they'll have, be forced to have an additional team into the Champions League. Then you can say there'll be a top six, seven or eight. But at the moment, as long as there's only four spots that are playing in their premier competition, the team that doesn't make it is going to be falling out of the top six and, and, and they can't continue to call them a top six team. I'm not putting any names in there. Don't get nervous their way. Um, but, you know, <laughs> time will tell who falls out. Yeah, I guess it's, you, you, you know, you guys both touched on it. And I, I guess I wanted to just maybe shift gears. I don't want to spend too much time on this because I really want the bulk of the show to talk about some of that nostalgic stuff we spoke about offline. But, you know, looking at the owners we now have in, um, having the Premier League, I just, I just want to go through a couple of things. Um, you know, let's talk about one thing I want to touch on very quickly, the moral compass and what does it mean for the fans? You know, does it actually mean anything to you? Yeah, he has some stuff. You know, he has some stuff I want to throw at you before you answer, Rudds, and I'll come to you. you got the Glazers, right? One stubbed the slumlord for making billions through illegally preying on the poor and vulnerable in America to make his millions. You've got FSG at Liverpool who try to furlough their staff, get out of paying them, and then also try to rise ticket prices at the wrong time at, at, at a crazy level, which they eventually change, but nonetheless driven by the dollar. Man City and the Sheikhs, you know, the UAE. I don't know if you've heard of the, the camel riding event that goes on there, but they extract yeah. kids from India, Bangladesh, all over, take them over to um, to the UAE, um, or, 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 or then asked to ride these camels, um, are not looked after, and are very ill-treated in terms of, um, I guess, how they are maintained as, as, as humans. West Ham, former porno industry modules, you know, who in the words of their own owners said all he did was put smile on the faces of people all his life. And then, of course, now you've got the Saudis. This is a man literally accused of orchestrating the assassination of a journalist. Um, and Lord knows what other atrocities and known as the architect of war in Yemen. Where do we draw the line with these owners? And is the, is the EPL becoming a playground? For the, the, the dark side of the world, if you will, in a way. And what kind of tests are actually done to check if these are legitimate, uh, people with the right motivations? Yeah, that fit and proper test is a, is a joke. Um, it's not just the English league, it's, it's, it's all leagues. Um, these guys that have the money, the moral compass is gone. The billionaires in the world, um, don't make their money from straight and narrow um, ways. There's a lot of, of billionaires that have some dirt with them. Like you haven't even mentioned Roman Abramovich and what, what happened in, in Russia. So you can exactly. go through a whole list and there'll be, you know, discrepancies across the board. But you look at what happened with this takeover. So the Saudis accused 
Qatar of funding terrorism, right? Because of that, they went after the Qatari assets and they blocked BN Sports, which is a Qatari-owned um, company, from broadcasting sports into the country, right? So they just cut them off. Yeah, that's right. They started, they, they stole that, um, that feed, pirated that feed. They called it B out Q. Um, and from there, um, all the sports that were coming into Saudi Arabia were, were from illegal, an illegal source that was funded by the, the Saudi government. You fast forward to today, right? So, well, so last week, the only reason why the takeover went through was because they flipped it and within a day they, they settled that dispute and then the Premier League now is going, going to Saudi through, you know, a paid stream. So because it was affecting the Premier League's bottom line and affecting the Premier League's broadcast partner, that they were blocking it. They, they weren't concerned about the owners themselves and what they've done for human rights and what they do for the, for the, for the gay community in the country and for the females in the country. So, you know, there's, there's nothing of, of that sort. And there was a discussion that I heard around, well, goes to a vote and 14 clubs can vote for it. And the reason why the 14 clubs, well, if 14 clubs vote against it, then it doesn't happen. And the reason why the 14 clubs won't is because they know that's where the money is and they want to sell. In two years' time, if the Glazers do want to sell, who has billions? It's going to be these, these, these same slum lords or human rights guys. So they've got that, that money is there to stay. And, you know, football's meant to be different. Football, we look at it, you know, we've got the, you know, kick it out campaigns and other campaigns where you think sport can overcome social injustices. But in this case, it's not. It's, it's, it's feeding into it. And the Saudis are trying to clean their image through the ownership of Newcastle. Because you've already got Newcastle fans and football fans who may not be defending what they've done, but they are talking up the Saudis. They're excited about the Saudis. They've got way talking about, man, I'm, I'm envious. Why couldn't the Saudis buy Arsenal? You know, so that, you know, for their, their own PR campaign, how, how fantastic is that for them? So, you know, the dirt in the game is yet to stay, Connell. It's, it's, it's a sad reality, but, you know, we, we've got to separate that from the football. Uh, some great points, right? And, and uh, Wade, I want to come over to you. Uh, I read a report by Norton Rose Fulbright, a sports law firm that specializes in all matters sport. They did a thorough analysis on, on basically where, where the league is headed, what they think of ownership, a, a full-blown top to bottom of what, where they think we'll be going in the next few years. I want to paint some, some, some stats for you, Wade, that I want you to, to sort of chime in. I'll ask you a question first. So between 1900 and the year 2000, how many foreign owners were there in those years, do you think? Two. Two. Okay, so just to put it in perspective, there was zero. It was all owned by the UK, right? Pretty crazy. In terms of now um, to this day, so from the year 2000 onwards, do you want to take a stab at what percentage of the Premier League is owned by foreign entities? 60%? Three quarters. 75% wow. of the EPL clubs have some form of foreign ownership. The US is the single largest source with about, you know, on average, I worked out in some cases, you know, they have percentages within clubs. Let's say on average they own about seven clubs, 
right? The UK is probably the next with, with about five, and then it's broken down into the other regions. 50% of what's really interesting, that 50% of that are corporate investors, private equity firms, and sovereign wealth funds and hedge funds. So prior to the year 2000, private, the private sector wanted really nothing to really do in terms of global, wanted nothing to do with that, um, the Premier League. And this has all happened over the last 10 years, this trajectory. So I guess my question to you is, do you see this trend continuing? And what, what do you think is lost by not having uh, local ownership within these sports teams in the long run? Are they actually losing a piece of their identity? Yeah, it's a couple of good questions. Um, you know, firstly, I, I don't see it slowing down. Uh, the Premier League is, is so popular now all over the world. It's a massive brand. You know, you go to, uh, you go to parts in, in the Middle East, you'll, you'll go to some, you know, village in a desert and you'll see a kid wearing a Manchester United top or, you know, a, a Chelsea top, some kid in Africa somewhere, you know, so, it's such a massive brand now that I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Uh, in terms of like the, the locals and the second question that you asked, I think, you know, there's already a massive disconnect between a lot of people and the clubs now. Um, it's certainly nothing like it used to be. Uh, that, that gap is just continuing to grow now. Um, and I don't see that slowing down. You know, there's, there's obviously a lot of, I mean, look at the whole, uh, Super League idea. You know, they, they labeled the, uh, the, you know, I guess traditional fans as legacy fans. I think they were calling us. And the whole idea behind that was opening it up to, um, to the casual fans, you know, because they now make up a, a bigger part of that market. You know what I mean? So that's, that's the thinking now. The game is global. You know, they wanted to go and take these games to, America or, you know, wherever, whatever they wanted to do to sort of expand the game. So there's so much money being thrown around now. So I don't, I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a catch 22 because for us as fans, you want to see the best players in the league, right? So the only way you're going to get the best players in the league is if the owners have money to bring them into the league. So it's like, I, I want to see the best players at my club. You know what I mean? So I want, that's why I was saying when, when we were talking about it initially, I said, you know, I'm, I'm envious because, you know, I, I would love it if they came in and, and took our, over our club, to be honest with you. And it's like, on one hand, yes, you know, your moral compass is, is this right? But, you know, at, at some point, we're all kind of uh, guilty when it comes to human rights, uh, you know, violations. Riyadh's wearing a Nike top, you know. We we all know what happens with Nike and people slaving away in factories for minimum dollars, you know what I mean? So it, we all play a part in some way. I guess it's on a bigger scale when we're talking about what we're talking about now with the Saudi owners, but there you go. You know, I see you <laughs> I'm glad you call out Rods. We know he's always <laughs> infringing on human rights when it comes to supporting Manchester United. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's a case of, you know, uh, it's not a case of good versus bad. It's a case of bad versus worse, I guess. You know, I was listening to something today, for example, just to finish off. The UK sells weapons to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia at the moment are wiping out Yemen. You know what I mean? That's a massive. So it's 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 a conflict. You know what I mean? It's it's what, what can we do? Money talks, unfortunately, and and it's it's not going to slow down anytime soon, in my opinion. Look, and we can probably talk about something like this because I mean, you raised a, a great point. We probably not probably we are all in violation of some form 
of um, human rights in the sense of the clothes we wear, the things we do, and how we go about it. I guess from a from a club perspective, though, we probably really tend to you know shut our eyes completely when it comes to that perspective because we are so emotionally connected to that club. And I think because of our connection to that club, um, we kind of push everything else to the back because we we do love our clubs and that's really what drives us to support them the owners are just you know they're along for the journey at that given time so an interesting Mm. topic one that we can go on all night but i do want to shift gears and i want to get to the the really exciting stuff which is taking taking the view taking the listeners back and also taking us back to those great times in the premier league so shifting over to our analysis corner That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be shifting the focus this week, and we are going to be taking you back. Now, we are all avid lovers of the Premier League. Most of us have been following football for many a moon. You know, myself, I've probably been following the Premier League since the early days, around 1992, when it it actually formed, being a nine-year-old, ten-year-old, around about those days. And, you know, the view, the, 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 um, the panel and I decided that, you know, today, given it was an international break, we're going to actually take you back and start analyzing what we thought were some of those moments that really instilled a bit of excitement in us and brought back so many lasting memories from those early days. So I'm going to t- turn it over to the panel and I might start off, off with you, Rods. You know, we spoke about it offline, but we spoke about, you know, list out those 10 players that really for you were not necessarily all-time greats in my eyes, but they could form part of that. But I guess your favorite players, those players that you watched and brought out, I don't know, they gave you a bit of a tingle or they, they made their hair stand up on your, on your neck. Um, you know, maybe list out, maybe list out the seven players, but then I, I want you to dive in deep to the top three in order. Yeah, so I'll go in like very briefly, and this is not in order. My top three will be in order, but not in order. I'll start with David Beckham. Um, you know, it takes me back to that goalie score from half a line. I don't think we've seen someone in the league who was so good with the dead ball as he was for, for years and years. So I think that gets overlooked and, and he, he's very much underrated in terms of what he did he, on, on the field because he was a fantastic player, one of my favourites. I was devastated when he moved on to, to Real Madrid. Uh, not always in the in the greatest, but I'll continue on that, uh, on, on that uh, you know, those players that just bring back those nostalgic memories. And Gianfranco Zola. Wow, what a what a player, a little genius. You know, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a little man myself, and you see this guy doing bits in the field. Um, you know, another magician, you know, before the likes of Messi. It, I it must was, say it that was, man was an absolute magician. Yeah. A beast, a beast. So, you know, you look at players like that. Um, another player, David Ginola. Some of the goals he scored for Newcastle and Tottenham Hotspurs. Again, this, this, this is just nostalgic memories coming through of this French bastard with his taking his shirt off, swinging it around, running, running around. Um, you know, that's, it's just fantastic. I've got a, um, the other one is another mad genius, Paolo Di Canio, uh, and what he did. You know, moments of brilliance, moments of madness. Um, you know, what can you expect? Um, you know, you got to put him on the list. Um, and then from there, going to maybe a few of, of the more 
uh, before more, more recent players. The other one is another little genius, probably not as good as Zola, but in that same mold is Janino from Middlesbrough. Uh, what a player, what a player. You know, a little old Middlesbrough, they couldn't believe they were able to sign a player um, like like Janino. And then he ended up playing with Ravanelli as well. And you got these two world-class players playing a little old Middlesbrough who, who were nowhere near one of the top teams at the time. So, you know, that, that, that takes you back into a, a game. Just You know, what, what makes Janino special is his pure love for Middlesbrough. The man cried, I don't know how many times, playing for that club, taking them up and down. He was he was truly a great for them. He played with a smile on his face, though. You could just see the enjoyment he got from playing. And and that, and that was just, you know, as infectious as a fan watching it. You're just like, wow, look at this guy enjoying what he's doing on the field. Fantastic. Now, some of the more recent players, um, I've got to throw out some of my African brothers out there, Yaya Torre, Drogba, uh, two of the best the continent ever produced. I know we've got, um, I'm not talking about Salah and, and, and some of the current players, but uh, what Yaya Torre and Didier Drogba have done, fantastic. Um, a couple of Liverpool players, Gerard, Jambi Alonso. I'll also throw in Luis Suarez. I think yeah, that, that that guy was, was a demon the way, well, he's still playing, but he's fantastic in terms of what he could do. Sorry, Michael Owen, Lampard's goals, uh, the list goes on. But if I go down to the three that stick with me as, you know, maybe not in the order of the greatest players of all time or greatest league players, but just for me, what they've done. So the first one is, is Dennis Bergkamp. Uh, I remember watching this So are you going 3-2-1 or are you going 1-2-3? Three? 3-2-1, three, 3-2-1. Okay. So number three, Dennis so Bergkamp. So is third. Bergkamp is third. So I remember watching him. And, you know, young player, myself, um, playing for Charians and Rensford, trying to, trying to make it. And you look at this guy playing, you're like, this guy got no backlift. You know, was a big thing. It's like, how does this guy score goals without lifting his foot? Just what can he score? Like, and, and, and he goes to school, he's talking about, he's talking about the goals he scores. He scores his goal against Newcastle, where he's facing his back to the goal. And he does something and you think, has he made a mistake, but it's all, uh, yeah. For, you know, we spoke about, we spoke about magicians before. This one was an artist. He was an artist and what he did was just fantastic. Like, again, these are just things that just made you love the game. Number two for me, uh, Thierry Henry. Um, Wade will call him the king. Goal machine. You know, pace, power, but ultimately intelligence as well. You know, he got the record for goals and assists in the season. You know, as a United fan in that time when the United and Arsenal rivalry was at its at its peak. You know, you you could not look at this player and not admire what he was doing on the field. I remember he scored a goal against United against Fabian Bartes, where he just did a little flick of the ball and put it over. You're like, wow, that was a special you know, goal. A, a special goal. You're looking at it, and, and as an opposition fan, you just go, hats off, hats off. What a player. So you know that he's he comes in at number two. But um, I, don't uh, also, I want to add, uh, while we're on these memories, I'll never forget the goal he scored, he scored against Liverpool where Jamie Carragher, I think he turned seven times and J- Jamie Carragher <laughs> fell on his ass. You had Liverpool defenders falling all over the place. And it's just, yeah. he was pure brilliance, Henry, pure brilliance. Well, my, my, my number one player did something similar against Newcastle where he had players turning, turning, turning. And at the end, he just did a little chip over the goalkeeper and put in the net. It's Eric Cantona, the king. He's the reason I fell in love with the game. He was transformational for United, but as a young kid, looking looking at this guy, doing what he's doing, the arrogance he had, the goals he was scoring. He scored a goal against 
Sunderland. It was a chip. And he scored this goal. And he stood there. And he turned around looking at the, looking at the crowd. You know, no celebration. He's like, what <laughs> is this? You know, like the, the night boots he had, I remember, those are the boots I wanted to get. And like my dad had to go and get out and find those boots because I wanted him. Because he had that ad too. You know, Arawa, collar up. Scores are like, you're like, wow, look what a player. And then the FA Cup final goal. Oh my wow. God. We, 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 against Liverpool was a, oh. was a, the game, you know, any team could have won it. Ball pops up. It was a pretty drab final, and then he does that. Yeah. It did not fall down for him. The ball stayed up, and the way he's volleyed that, and it's just gone through, like, the, the, the Red Sea separating into the back of the net and the celebration. So, I mean, is going to take it for me. Like I said, the reason I fell in love with the club, fell in love with the game, is the key. And there you have it. So, Rods, we have Eric Cantona won. Two, yeah. we had Dennis Bergkamp. No, Thierry Henry. And three was Dennis Bergkamp. Wait, so... Arsenal up there. Yeah, yeah I'm maybe, surprised maybe we have to cover Arsenal support here. But um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's hand it over to Wade and let's see your top ten. Wade, who's those seven? And then we really dive into those top three. So I probably took a bit of a different approach to, to Rudd's. Like I went with guys who I think if, if you had to make a list, um, of the greatest players, who would be those players, you know? Uh, not so much from a personal perspective, but more, I guess, from a holistic point of view. But before I get into my 10, just a couple of honorable mentions. Uh, obviously Eric Cantona, you mentioned there, uh, Roy Keane, Tony Adams, Rio Ferdinand, Matt Letizia. Uh, Peter Schmeichel and David Beckham, just a couple of honorable mentions that didn't make my top 10 list. All, all phenomenal players in their own right, no doubts. But for me, I try to keep a couple of things in mind here when I created this list. Um, obviously players that were elite, uh, in comparison to others, but also players that were, you know, able to maintain that elite level over a sustained period of time. So that, that's sort of what I took into consideration. So, I'd actually put these in order uh, of my top 10 greatest players of all time. So I'll start with 10, uh, was Ryan Giggs. Nine was Patrick Vieira. Eight was Wayne Rooney. Seven, Paul Scholes. Six, John Terry. Five, Frank Lampard. And I had Dennis Burkamp at four. So those wow. are my... Burkamp yeah, those four. are... Yeah. Oh. Those, those, those make up my, uh, my seven from ten till four. Uh, in terms of my top three, I had Alan Shearer at number three. Uh, for me, the best finisher we've seen in the Premier League. Um, you know, just had that knack for sniffing out goals, always in the right place at the right time. Ultimate fox in the box, uh, could also hit them from outside the box. Some of those volleys, uh, that he used to do. Straight from across, first time into the top corner. I mean, just unbelievable. And his record, his record speaks for itself. 260 goals in the Prem. You know, for context, Rooney is next at 208. Uh, I don't think that record is getting broken anytime soon. You know, just for me, the ultimate goal scorer, um, has to be up there in my top three. Uh, at number two, this might ruffle, uh, Rudd's feathers a little bit, but I've got Steven Gerrard. Um, as, as my second best player of all time in the Prem. For me, a player that just had so many layers to him. You know, I mean, you talk about complete midfielders. This guy, for me, was the personification of a complete footballer. 
You know, I, yeah. I believe if, if Gerard had to be a goalkeeper, he would have been one of the best in the world. <laughs> if he was a striker, oh, he would have been one of the best in the world. Honestly, like, I just rate this guy so much. I know people always make the comparison with Lampard and Skulls. And, you know, no doubt Lampard, excellent, arriving in the box late, could finish, scored a crazy amount of goals. I think he's top five all-time goal scorer in the Premier League for midfielder, which is absolutely crazy. Paul Skulls. Another guy gets compared to often could dictate the, the, the tempo of a game, could pick a pass and make something happen out of nothing. I know he'll get compared to those guys, but for me, and I'm not even saying this to be facetious, I think Gerard was, was levels ahead of those guys in terms of his all-round ability. Um, and, and, and talking about just his skills, you know, he was a brilliant dictator from the middle of the park, excellent vision, strong ball carry. I mean, would literally drive that Liverpool team forward on his own. Um, you know, some of the best finishes you'll see from distance as well. Defensively solid, put his body on the line, didn't mind getting his, his, his putting his foot in. You know what I mean? Just the, the ultimate competitor. And that's just talking about his skills. For me, the most impressive thing about Stevie G was his ability to literally win games on his own. You know, he had that X factor, uh, and he did it over and over again as well. And and that's just something you can't teach, I don't think. It's something you're born with, you know. So, for me, he's he's number two on my list. And I, I think you guys know who my number one is. We know uh, the number one. David Goes Zeman. without saying. Goes without saying. For me, the greatest player the Premier League's ever seen. It has to be the king, uh, Terry Henry. I mean, you talk about, you know, Jordan. You talk about LeBron and... Tom Brady, Joan Alomo, Messi, these guys, you know, he was uh, on a level all on his own, in my opinion. You know, at times it looked like a, a, a grown man on a Sunday at your local park playing with a, a couple of school kids, you know. Um, he used to bully players. He had power. He had pace. He had skill. Uh, you know, Rudd's mentioned before his IQ and just his intelligence um, for the game, you know, and he, he did it with like, a perfect blend of arrogance and charisma as well. You know, I remember uh, when he used to score goals, he used to just shrug his shoulders and put his hands up like this sometimes, as if to say, you know, what's going on here? These guys can't stop me, you know? Give me something to work with. You used to almost feel sorry for, for some of his opponents. I mean, the goal against Inter springs to mind where he just turns Zanetti inside out. We're talking about one of the best defenders of all time. Uh, his goal at the Bernabeu, watched it back today, you know, nearly from the halfway line. I believe we're still the only English team to ever beat Madrid in Madrid. Um, I could be mistaken, but I know that record stood for a long time. And, you know, Rudd's mentioned the goal, uh, you know, against Man United, a defender on his back, um, ball rolls into him, flicks it up, hits it on the volley on the turn, goes over Bartes. I mean, just magical moments that just used to make you say, wow, you know, we're witnessing greatness. We're witnessing Master Edward. I've got goosebumps talking about the guy right now. So, uh, for me, definitely the greatest player the Premier League's ever seen. So, yeah, that's, that's my look. And just on, Andre, one thing I, I just want to add to the Gerard Skulls debate. According to Andre, he rates Yeah, we go. Code. Yeah, we go. So I'll just, I'll just, I'll just leave that one in there. So. <laughs> Wouldn't be a podcast without Rudd's defending a United player, would it? But I think your top three is actually quite very good. Uh, it's hard to argue with that. Alan Shearer, probably the greatest goal scorer. The pre- not probably, he is the greatest goal scorer of the Premier League era. Gerard conceivably could have been laden with titles if he wasn't playing in some pretty average Liverpool teams. And Thierry Henry, 
my God, that guy, what he did with the football and some of the things he did at Arsenal were just unbelievable. And the fact he was converted from a winger to a striker epitomizes how great that guy actually was. So awesome, awesome list, Wade. Um, so I guess that leaves me uh, to kind of jump in and bring in the top top 10 of my side. So you know what, Rod, you actually made me change one of my players right now because you are 100% right. This player um, in my top 10, and I will say I probably took more of an angle of, of Rod's than greatest of all in my eyes. These are my favorite players. When I watch them, they just, as I said at the start, made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, did things where I looked at and my, my jaw was sitting on the floor, or I sat there and sometimes cried. Uh, I tell, I kid you not, uh, I cried watching them. That's how good I thought these players were in terms of the joy that they brought me. So um, I did swap out this number 10, and mine are probably in order, but I'm going to go with uh, Janino from Middlesbrough and bring him into my 10. Just purely based, I love a player. You know, a Janino, a quality player, goes to a, a, let's be honest, a shitty little club like Middlesbrough and embraces that club as a whole. And, and takes it on board as his own, almost becomes a, a, a bona fide person from Middlesbrough. So in 10, I've got Middlesbrough, uh, sorry, uh, Janino. In 9, I've got Fernando Torres, the Liverpool version, probably the best striker in the world at that time. Um, at 8, I've got Matt Letizia. Again, that guy could have left that club and probably done some great things. I felt like he did stay in his comfort zone, but let me tell you what, what a comfort zone that was. What he did at Southampton and some of the things he produced were unbelievable. One of my favorite players, African guy, Nwanko Kanu. I absolutely love this guy. The things he did with the ball were unbelievable. When they signed him, and I think, I may be mistaken, but he came from AC Milan or Italy, if I'm not mistaken. When Arsenal signed him, I couldn't have been more excited. And I'll go on record and say that Arsenal, I loved them as a team back then. They were a breath of fresh air in the Premier League, and I mean in terms of their style of play. So Kanu was just, I love that man. He's, I'll never forget that goal. I think it was actually against Middlesbrough, where the cross came in and he did a, a bit of a scorpion scissor um, kick, and he put it in the bottom corner. Unbelievable. Next, you mentioned it, Rod Zola, the little magician. Absolutely amazing player. For me, next on that list is Luis Suarez. That guy, in those two years at Liverpool, just before he left, did some of the things in football I've never seen. You could probably ask a lot of Liverpool um, fans, and they'd have him right up there as one of the greatest to ever put a Liverpool shirt on. Now, I can't attest for his biting and his uh, other allegations that came with him, but from a football perspective, the man was a, a mad genius. <laughs> just not to make my top four, unfortunately... Uh, Wade, I don't mean to upset you, but he was, he was in, he was out, he was in, he was out. Thierry Henry, he is fourth on my list. And that's probably more because I've gone for the emotional connection with players. So third on my list, my first true love who broke my heart. You know the girlfriend you're about to propose to who cheated on you with your best man? That is Michael Owen. This player, for me was the guy when I truly fell in love with football. A fresh-faced 17-year-old being brought on for his Liverpool debut in 1997 against Wimbledon. He scores, and I sat there, and I'll never forget, I was in Durban at the time. I couldn't have been more than, what, 13, 14 years old? And I said, we have some player over here. 
And it wasn't long after that he went off to the World Cup and he scored that goal against Argentina as a as an 18-year-old. And I remember reading a newspaper article, I think it was the Sunday Times back home, and they, you know the headline was talking about Michael Owen being the next Pele, pretty much. Such was the hype around him. I mean, he was 18, he'd come into this team and he had been spoken of so highly. He obviously then went on to do some, some amazing stuff at Liverpool. He was a, a natural finisher and he was honestly, he was sublime at Liverpool. He won the Ballon d'Or for, for goodness sake in, in 2001. And I will never forget the 2001 season and that FA Cup final, Wade, where Arsenal completely dominated us and Michael Owen scored two late goals to break Arsenal hearts. Probably one of the lasting memories of Michael Owen. I guess for me, he is definitely the player I loved most. Unfortunately, he wanted to experience Madrid, and he's regretted that decision ever since because he tried to pave his way back to Liverpool. It never quite worked out, and he did the unthinkable and signed for the Manx, which, of course, is always going to tarnish his legacy, although I've read his story and now understand some of his decisions. Um, it does leave a bit of a sour taste, but he had to be on there because he was my one true love. My second player, this guy, mate, an artist, you said it, Rudd. This guy was Picasso. This guy painted football. Dennis Bergkamp, for me, was just an unbelievable acquisition by Arsenal. The lasting memory for me was that goal against Newcastle. Unbelievable. And, of course, even on the world stage, that goal against Argentina at the World Cup. The long ball over the top, the pullback, and the goal. What a finish that was from the man. Of course, there was the hat-trick against Leicester where I think uh, the Leicester defender, I can, I can picture his face, the ball-headed guy, he flicked it over his head and then popped it into the opposite corner. Some of the things Burkamp did made no sense. That's how much of an artist he actually was. But my number one player, I mean, he's in your list already. I haven't mentioned him as it is. It's Steven Gerrard. You spoke about it as a Liverpool fan. I mean, this guy was literally Roy of the Rovers. If you know that comic book, he was literally the guy that took Liverpool. And let me tell you, Rudd's Wade, we had some average, shitty Liverpool teams over the years I supported. And you had a man, yeah, that literally single-handed. You want to talk about a man pulling a team over the line? That was Steven Gerrard. He had everything. Play right back, play left back, play right wing, play centre, wherever. It didn't matter. Steven Gerrard put it in. Obviously, the three things I remember most about Gerrard, the treble winning team in 2001, Istanbul 2005 final, my God, that is probably the single greatest night of a Liverpool fan's um, um, a memory. And, of course, that goal in the FA Cup final in 2006. He is the only man to have scored in every major final that there is. Um, sorry, that was against West Ham in the 93rd minute. Yeah. So he's the only player to score in, in every single one of those, those finals. Um, and he was coveted by AC Milan, Real Madrid, Chelsea, the biggest and best coaches wanted this man in his team and he stayed loyal to Liverpool. So Steven Gerrard, definitely my number one player in terms of favourite. Um, from, from, from Do you want to double check something there, Connell? How many United players you had in your top 10? Okay, so I do want to clear the record on this, Rudd, and I do apologise. <laughs> I have zero. And you know what, I, I was talking about this with my wife. I don't want to come across as biased, but my memories of United players were nothing but hurt. All they did was make me angry. you got to understand, I was supporting literally, uh, I was watching our biggest rival take away our glory that we had set up. I have no uh, issues including Chelsea players and, and Arsenal players. 
I actually sat and I wrote names like Roy Keane and I, and I go, these players just piss me off the entire time. How can I include any of them? You know, unfortunately, I'm too emotionally connected to that point to ever include any of them. But there were some great players there that could have easily fitted on my list. But due to the emotional connection and what they represented at the time, I, I couldn't bring myself to include any of them. So good call out there, Rads. But yeah, it was definitely intentional. Definitely intentional. <laughs> it was a struggle. It was a struggle. Okay, so I guess we'll shift. I guess we'll shift uh, a gear. So maybe to you, Rads. What what was the best year supporting your club and why? I guess we'll try and keep this as brief as we can, guys. But what was the best year supporting your club and why? So are we going through the games, or was that? A just, I just want uh, just a one year a summary of yeah. why it was the best year. Uh, maybe about a minute or so, a minute and a half. We'll give each other. Nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety nine. Enough said. Uh, treble. Um, yeah. Look, um, I don't, don't want to go into it too deep because I know we're going to talk talk about the games, but yeah, nineteen ninety nine, hands down. Wade, what about you? I mean, it's, it's, I think it's an obvious answer. Oh three, oh four, uh, 26 wins, 12 draws, zero losses, uh, gold Premier League Cup. Henry scores his 100th goal, the Battle of Old Trafford, uh, beating Liverpool 4-2 in February. Henry with that hat-trick and that goal you mentioned, Connell. Uh, you know, the unbeaten record on the line and then we go on to win the, win the Premier League unbeaten. You know, nothing, nothing comes close to 0304. Probably the single greatest season from any team. Yeah, I can, I hear you, I hear you. I guess, I guess for me, extremely difficult to split this one. And I'll, I'll proposition it like this. 05 was not a great year. The, the Istanbul final was a great game. So that to me wasn't the greatest year as a football, as a Liverpool fan, although it was the greatest game. The two seasons that really stick with me, um, and I know I'll digress a little bit here, but it's it's 2001, the treble winning season. What a unique season that actually was. And, of course, probably the greatest season that was unfortunately interrupted by COVID was the title winning season, where we produced some of the best football I've ever seen from any Liverpool side in all the history tapes I've watched of Liverpool from the greatest sides of Kenny Dalglish, Graham Souness, what that team produced in that single year to get 99 points and be, you know, up there with one of the greatest of all, all times in terms of teams in the Premier League, that had to be the single greatest season as a Liverpool supporter. The exhilaration I went through as a, as a fan was just unbelievable. Um, so I would say definitely the 1920 season for what it represented, 30 years of, of, of hurt. But I do want to shout out that really, really close to that is the 01 season. Because that 01 season, in its unique nature for what it was, will probably never be repeated again in its in its own unique way. So um, th- those were probably the uh, probably the occasions. I guess I want to shift gear and go to what are your top three greatest moments that will live for you in order? So t- top three greatest moments. These could be a goal. This could be a game. This could be a season. This could be a player. This could be anything. I just want you to pick three moments. Maybe give yourself about a minute and a half again and just go into that. Rudds? All right, so I took that a little bit different. I thought it was the three greatest moments of the best year we had. So all my moments are amazing. Just fine. Just fine. All right, so I'll start with um, Solskjaer against Liverpool. Um, it was an epic uh, 
This was we, the moment I cried, right? It's just so you know, are, I'll go on record, I cried. We are playing at Old Trafford. Liverpool take the early lead. Michael Owen scores a, a great header. Um, from then, United are pushing and pushing and pushing. In the second like minute, yeah? 88th minute, right? Two minutes to go. Um, ball comes over to, to Andy Cole from across. He puts it down. Dwight York comes in, scores the goal. So like, oh, here we go. We're going to replay. It's all over. But no, just wait. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He does what he does best. And I just want to play something quickly for you guys before uh, we move. You know, I've never, I've never been so close to throwing up in all my life. I actually feel physically sick because I remember that moment. I cried with my father and my uncle, who was a Man United supporter. Well, hopefully this brings back some good memories, Connie. Oh, God, yeah, we go. You think I'm joking when I tell you I want to... That, that evokes the worst memories in me. <laughs> That's cruel. <laughs> I literally tried. What a game, what a comeback. Man United at your best. Um, so look, sticking on that year, I go to my second game, and again, oh. it's, uh, it's a game in the FA Cup. And I think, so listening to some of the guys talk back, um, Gary Neville and some of the guys from that, from that 1999 team, they spoke about that Liverpool game as being a turning point for them, where they yeah. went and they built that momentum. So that was an important, very important game for that season. But the next game's got to be the, the FA Cup semi-replay, right? At, at Villa Park, you know, we go, we go 1-0 up. David Beckham, what a goal outside the box. Um, kicks his corner. He did it all the time, but, you know, semi-final, fantastic. But whatever Beckham can do, Burkham can do better. Outside the box again, long range. Got a bit of deflection, but again, bangs it in. Um, Evenly matched game, back and forth, end to end, fantastic to watch. Uh, from there, Nicholas and Alka scores. Arsenal go 2-1 up. Well, hang on, wait. Offside. Goal rolled out. Few minutes after that, Roy Keane is sent off. Down to 10 men. Pushing it on, goes into extra time. Patrick Vieira plays a lazy pass. Giggs gets that ball. We spoke, we spoke about Mo Salah's run last week and what he did. That gigs run, one of the best goals of all time. And I've got that to play for you guys as well. So, um, it's not just Conrad's going to, yeah. This guy is just torturing us through it, huh? Jeez. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Same with ammunition. Now you know why I didn't include any United players in that list, Wade. <laughs> Look, I won't, I won't go into my best game too much in terms of the detail. I'll, I'll just play it for you guys. I think uh, um, playing it for you is as best as I can do. So here we go. This is my, my, my best moment of all time as a United fan. Manchester United score. They always score. Gives it a shot. Name of 
of the trophy. Man, that is crazy stuff. Talk about goosebumps. Talk about, wow, wow, what a moment. United, 1999, up there, my best moment as a fan. Actually, the best game I've watched as a fan was the Arsenal semi-final. Um, the, 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 the final itself, Bayern were really good and United were just incredible to stay in that game. And yeah. then late winners, but uh, th- those are my three. So sorry if I took a little bit longer. I just had to play those moments for you guys, just to take you right back to what I was feeling. Awesome, awesome assessment there, Rads. Awesome, some great memories, no doubt. In some that evokes excitement, in others that evokes regurgitation. Uh, <laughs> Wade, what, what are your top three greatest oh, moments, no. man? Jeez, I should have came with some ammunition as well, but uh, hey. I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna talk this one through. But uh, number three for me, I didn't actually watch this live. I was too young, but I kind of feel like I was there because I've relived it so many times over the years and watching tape and listening to people talk about it. But it was the two 0 victory at Anfield in '89. Um, you know, going to Liverpool. Uh, we needed to win 2-0. Liverpool were the reigning champions at the time. Such a dominant force. Playing inspired football as well. I believe that was, um, you know, shortly after the Hillsborough tragedy as well. So a lot of emotion. And, you know, Michael Thomas, 92nd minute. Uh, what a finish. You know, we go on and we win the league. Um, just an amazing moment. And listening to the players talk about it, reliving that moment. You know, like I said, I didn't watch it live. I was too young, but, um, you know, I feel like I was there. You know, when I watch it, I, I still get goosebumps now. So for me, that was my moment number three. Um, number two, uh, beating one of the best Barcelona teams of all time at the Emirates in 2011. Uh, you know, we were one nil down. We probably should have been four or five nil down. Messi missed a couple of sitters. Uh, I think we had El Munya in goal at the time. Uh, don't know how he kept us in it, but, um, you know, the game should have been over. Anyway, we hung around, we stayed in it, and Jack Wilshire, 19 years old, up against Xavi and Iniesta in the midfield, just put on an absolute midfield masterclass for such a young kid. I'll never forget that performance. And then, you know, Ashavin's goal, probably the loudest the Emirates has ever been. You know, and we, I think in that moment we felt like there was hope. Uh, and that, you know, our fortunes were going to turn around at the Emirates. But unfortunately, it didn't pan out that way. But but definitely one of my best memories. Um, and then my, my number one, uh, it's hard to look past winning the league at White Hart Lane in 2004. Um, you know, we went 2-0 up. Uh, and Henry told a funny story about this because Spurs actually came back into it and they, they equalized near the end to make it 2 all. And one of the guys was celebrating in Andre's face. And Andre said to the guy, you realize that we've just won the league on your home ground, don't you? And the guy's face just dropped. And that was just such a classic moment, classic Henry. Uh, you know, and then we go on, we finish the, the season unbeaten, um, winning the league at White Hart Lane. I mean, you know, it's the stuff you write movies about, to be honest. So... Uh, and that, that classic Henry slide as well in front of the fans. You know, we got the statue outside the stadium now. So, uh, definitely my best moment as an Arsenal fan was that victory at Spurs winning the league. 
It doesn't get much sweeter than that, Wade. Your biggest uh, uh, rival in terms of, you know, derby and proximity to where you are, to lift their trophy or, or win the title in their backyard. Uh, those are memories that will last with you for forever. I guess for me, um, you know, top three moments. I think one thing with Liverpool, they've produced moments over so many years. Some of them uh, have literally just been that moments and nothing else came of it. But in these instances, they did. And I guess, you know, up there, right up there, as recent as a few years ago, um, the Barcelona semi-final. My God, that was... To even begin to explain the the feeling going into that game, I remember uh, one of my diehard Liverpool friends, and you know him, uh, uh, Raj Clues, came over. We both sat, we looked at each other, and we kind of went, you know what? Hopefully we go out there, we get a good account of ourselves, and you know maybe we take a 2-1, a 2-0 victory. You talk about the Origi, the Origi game? The Origi game, the, the Trent Alexander-Arnold game, the, the, the Genie yeah. Wijnaldum game. It was the Liverpool game. It was the, the game that defied games. And, and the lasting memory was, was the scoreboard at the end, 4-0. And Lionel Messi, the greatest player of all time, in my opinion, standing under that board, forlorn. Ex-players come back in Coutinho and Suarez. And the look on their faces, they're you just... frame, Connell. Oh, dude, that game... You know, Clues and I literally, we, we, we broke down and almost cried in that moment. We could not believe all, what we were watching. And that Trent Alexander-Arnold corner is probably something we'll never see again. So that that game and that moment, you know, the, the final, to be honest with you, the final was kind of like pretty blah. But the lasting memory is that semi-final against Barcelona. And what a game that was. So that that's on my list. No discernible audio because they all evoke different memories. The next one, um, I just want to play something for you that I also did get. And this was just the emotion that this gave me at this exact time. Um, so just bear with me. I don't know. Let, let's see if you guys can pick what this is because this is some of the best commentary you'll ever hear. Mella, lovely cushion header. Is that the FA Cup final? Yeah. AC Milan. No, that was... We were eight. So that was the Istanbul final. Uh, not the final, but the road to the final. That was eight minutes away from being knocked out by Olympiacos. And Steven Gerrard hit the sweetest half volley you have ever... I still get goosebumps. My hairs are standing up right now when I heard that commentary. That moment was the most unbelievable. We were gone. We were done. We were done. And he produced a moment of pure, I don't know, out of this world, um, once in a lifetime kind of hit that you'd probably... You know, if he hit that ball nine more times, it would have ended up in the bloody car park. But this one, yeah, ended up in the neck, and the rest is history. So that Olympiacos one is right up there for me. And then, you know what? I, I, I have to tie these two together. So I want to talk about the moment, and then I want to play a last video for you to close out. But the Istanbul final, the 3-0 down against – have you ever looked at that AC Milan, guys, that team on paper? I mean, we're talking about world stars. Cafu, Kaka, Crespo, Yabstam, Maldini. I can't even begin to say Sador, Pirlo, 
guys, these are players upon players. We had Jimmy yeah. bloody Traore <laughs> at left back and Steve Finnan at right back. 3-0 down against these guys and we came back. I watched that game. I was still in Peter Maritzburg at that time with friends and, and my father who passed away, you know, six years later. That memory will last with me forever. It was the single greatest thing I've ever experienced as a Liverpool supporter for a game. Just unbelievable. So Istanbul that night, the Jerzy Dudek save from um, uh, Shevchenko. I, I can't even understand how he saved that. In that. that moment when he saved that, I said, we're winning this cup. The penalties, I don't care about the penalties. It's done. And the rest is history. But tied up there, number one spot has to be this moment um, for obvious reasons. So bear with me. You're going to have to listen for about 40 seconds. Here comes the captain, the leader of the club. Jordan Henderson steps forward to take his medal and to take the Premier League trophy. The Hendo shuffles on its way. First, they conquered Europe. Then they conquered the whole world. Now they've conquered their own country. Jordan Henderson, the Liverpool Football Club captain. Vaz, I'm going to make you suffer through makers, this. A team of record breakers. Now, Liverpool are back where they belong. Jordan's been 30 years apart. About to end. Champions again! Yay! At least it was in an empty stadium. You know what, Raj, I will say one thing. I remember that moment, and unlike the unlike the Istanbul moment where I screamed and yelled and jumped, and I've never been more calm in all my life. I sat there, and I'll, I'll be very honest and open, maybe show my softer side. I sat with my daughter in my room, and I literally cried. I, as, a, as a 37-year-old grown man, I sat there, and I thought about my father, and I thought about, you know, my late father, who would have enjoyed that exact moment. And that's why we love football. Those are the reasons we follow this game. And what that did for me in that moment, as much as, you know, United fans would have probably not liked to have seen the moment for obvious reasons, what it did for us is just it brought back so many memories. And all the people that didn't get to see Liverpool in that hurt, the single greatest moment uh, easily, easily. It was a long time coming, very long time coming, that one. Oh, my guys, we've had, what, what a journey this conversation has been. I actually feel like so emotionally happy <laughs> and all over the place and everyone's smiling right now. It's, it's great, you know. I don't know if I'm smiling as much as the other guys because you ended up with a very sour note for me. <laughs> that doesn't involve good memories for me, you know what I mean? <laughs> You know, it's funny, I had some of our listeners uh, uh, chime in with their, their top players and, you know, their moments uh, from around the grounds. Um, you know, others would call, like, we had a, a guy from, from Brisbane, Jake, he messaged, and he's a Leicester supporter. And obviously for Leicester, you know, a yo-yo club that goes up and down, and he obviously spoke about the moment where they went from nothing to winning the Premier League. What, what an amazing yeah. achievement that was. And, you know, even Spurs supporters, we had one from, from Adelaide reach out and, and talk about the moment. They made the Champions League final. Everyone has different memories within the Premier League. And I guess, uh, you know, the one thing with the Premier League, it, it just brings on those emotions for us and those connections that last forever. Absolutely forever. So, Well, I've, yeah. got, a, I've got a close friend or, or family member, Faisal Fredericks, who's a Newcastle supporter. And I suppose over the last week, this might be one of those weeks where... It'll involve memories for him. <laughs> so he's got the Saudi money. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> we might have to. We're Raj, we might have to get him on as a as a as a. As a, as a, as a, as a, as a guest, sorry, yeah, as a guest yeah. in about 10 years yeah. time to talk about the moment <laughs> that he had with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I tell you, it's, uh, it's great reliving these memories, guys. And I guess, um, yeah, it's, it's been an awesome journey with the two of you listening. Cause uh, you know, even you spoke about it, Wade, you know, those Henri moments, those Bergkamp moments, Rods, even the moments you brought up with your United players, they evoked Different memories, but memories that will stick with you forever. So it's been awesome sharing that journey with you, and I hope the listeners have enjoyed it as much as we have had uh, talking about it. So, look, our show is going to go a little bit over this week, but we cannot we cannot neglect the trivia, and we're going to hand it over, of course, now to uh, to our resident trivia expert as we pave the way, <laughs> because generally it's all about him. <laughs> We've had a few technical difficulties there with the uh, the intro music there, Rod. So all about you, baby. Take over from sing, here. Sing a little, sing a little jingle for us, Rod, before we oh, start. I can DJ for you, but I cannot be singing the <laughs> so, so I just I just do a quick reminder about the scores. And Connell has got oh, a got a lead on on Wade. He was unfortunately unable to extend that lead last week in in, in Wade's absence, or maybe fortunately in Wade's circumstance, but. The scores are five to Connell and three to Wade. Well, that's um, not just similar to uh, Liverpool's lead over Arsenal in all things trophy-wise, right, Wade? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I will. Um, I, I will quickly apologise for last week. So I was called up on on a uh, on an incorrect fact. So I called out Alfonso wow. Areola as a starter for West Ham. So yeah. when I did the list. And looking at Alfonso Areola, it was after the game that um, we played against West Ham that they knocked us out of the League Cup. And looking at that team, I actually didn't realize that he was the second-choice keeper. So Fabianski remains as the first-choice keeper for West Ham, and Areola played in the Cup game. And it so technically, I get that point, because that threw me off. I would have got the answer then. Nah, that was like the very last thing I said. That he's a starter, so you, you don't I, need any more no points, points. Connell. You, you, you got the lead. You, you're good, man. You're good. You get no points. Look, I think uh, there's a couple of difficult ones. When I go to the the, the teammates, I'm gonna do it a little bit differently. So I'm not gonna mix them up. So I'm going through teammates in order of their career. So it should be a little bit easier in terms of if you can pick out which club they are at. But I think the player themselves might be more difficult. But we'll start off with the facts, as we normally do. So who the heck is that? Um, you guys ready to go? Let's do it. One ready, baby. All right. My father was a champion Greco-Roman wrestler, holding the country's title as the best for a six-year period. I attempted to follow in his footsteps and become a wrestler myself. Um, and I took up the sport from the age of eight. After two years, I had to give it up. I was just smaller built, and I was getting thrown away far too easily. So I couldn't compete and had to give it up and switch sports to football. So I joined my local soccer club. I spent my entire youth career at the local soccer club, and at the age of 17, made the step up into the senior team. The senior team was in the third division within the nation's football setup. I spent five years at the club as a senior. During that time, I was instrumental in the club's promotion to the second division. I scored 115 goals in 109 games for the club. From there, I made 
a move to the first tier um, in a club within the nation. On my debut, I scored twice in a 6-0 win. And in my second game, I scored a hat-trick. That same season, I made my European competition debut in the UEFA Cup Winners' Cup. We played the Belarusian team Dynamo 93 Minsk. I scored on debut and again in the second leg. Is this a current player still playing in the Premier League? He's still in the... No, he doesn't play anymore. Uh, I had to think a little bit about that one. Okay. Um, we I'm just gonna, it's not, I don't know how far back... I'm just going to throw it in. It's not Andrei Chivchenko, right? No, it's not. We were drawn in the next leg against PSG. Um, we went, I scored in the first leg. We, we went down 3-2. However, we were outclassed in the second leg and lost 3-0 and knocked us out of, the, of, of that cup. You know, surprisingly, I was then put on the transfer market by the club for a 1.2 million euro fee with Everton and Man City leading the chase. However, neither were willing to spend that sort of money on a player that they saw as a risk. I made my international debut against Jamaica and scored on debut with the match ending on 1-1. So I got a debut goal that I scored. A few months um, after my, my, my national or international debut, I finally made my move to Premier League to the club that I would then spend the rest of my career playing for. When I arrived, I was given the number 20 jersey and that number I kept for the rest of my career. Number 20. What an odd and when I referred to the rest yeah. of my career, I spent 11 more years at the club. Jesus. I scored six minutes into my Premier League debut, coming on as a sub to score what was an equaliser against Blackburn Rovers. I made my Blackburn. first start. I made my first start for the club in a 4-1 win against Nottingham Forest, scoring the first of four. In my debut season, I went on to start both legs of a Champions League semi-final against Borussia Dortmund. However, we lost 2-0 on aggregate. Peter Schmeichel? Uh, no. I scored 18 goals. Hey, hang on, I just want to pause on that guess there. The man scored 100 and something goals and this man said... <laughs> oh, shit, what am I doing? <laughs> oh, hi, I'm thinking of where they come from. <laughs> Eighteen goals in my first season in the Premier League. My I'll second season, however, eighteen. My second season was not as prolific. I only scored six goals in twenty-two appearances. The highlight of my second season was a moment when I tracked back the length of the field to foul Rob Lee from Newcastle who was through on goal and obviously got myself a red card for the, for, um, for the attempt. Prior to the commencement of the following season, the club had accepted a 5.5 million bid from Tottenham. I refused the offer and stayed. I have won the following trophies. Champions League, two FA Cups, six Premier Leagues, I played 67 games for my nation, scoring 23 goals. That puts me fourth in my country's all-time scorers list. I share that position with Torre Andre Flo. I'm nearly at the end, guys. Oh, Fast forward. Just, 
You know what? I was thinking of wrestlers the whole time, and I was thinking this must be one of oh from like Iceland or Finland or something. So when you said below, I'm like, all right, Norwegian. Yes. Norwegian is not a bad guess. So Wade is back in the comp. He closes the gap to one. So well done, Wade. There were two left. Get in From there. there, I think he would have got it. So, uh, famously scored a, ch- a winner Champions League final. Um, there are some that credit me as the greatest super sub in the history of the game. Yeah, I was nicknamed the baby-faced assassin. I oh, played yeah. for Man United. I'm a Norwegian. I'm the current manager of Man United. So, hopefully by the last one, you would have got it. Um, <laughs> Bloody hell. So, we move on to just the teammate. Like I said before, it's a t- difficult one this week. So, I haven't mixed the teammates up. I haven't tried to catch you out. I'm going to go through in a in a reasonable order um, and get you to, to, to guess it. So here we go. We've got 50 teammates to go through. And once we get to the end, I'm just going to tell you the, the answer because I think uh, um, we can't, the, the show is really well and truly over. So um, James McCarthy, Franco DeSanto, Charles and Zogbia, so Wigan is the team, obviously. Victor, yeah. Victor Moses, Hugo. Valencia. Antonio Valencia. That is not. Oh, oh if you got Chief, that right out of the That was a good guess, bro. Chris Evra, Rio Ferdinand, Berbatov, Robin Van Persie, Bebe, Wilfred Zaha, Juan Mata, Ryan Giggs. Wayne Rooney, Fellaini, Lingard, Victor Valdez, Ander Herrera, Danny Welbeck, Di Maria, Joe Cole, Christian Benteke, Darren Bent, Gabriel Ogbonglaho, Jack Grealish, James Milner. No. Philip Philippe Senderos. Gareth Barry. No. Aaron Lennon. Gareth Barry. <laughs> Dylan Pina. Romelu Lukaku. Gerard Diolafiu. This has to be an Everton player then. Wayne Rooney. Coleman. No. Wayne Rooney. Oh. John Stones. Yannick Bolassi. Idrissa Gay. Ah, uh, what was his name? Tim Howard. Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Oh, no. I feel like his guesses are good. <laughs> good guesses. <laughs> good guesses. Eunice Kabul. Troy Deeney. Richarlison. Etienne Kapu. Or Kapue. James McCarthy. No. James McCarthy, no. Ismail Asar. Danny Rose. Musa Sissoko. Is that, that everyone? That is the that is everyone. So um, I'll I'll just give up a, a, a quick list. So we start from um, Wigan, Man United, Aston Villa, what or Everton, Watford, current Watford player. Current Watford player. And I can't. How the hell would I not know who that is? Cleverly. Ooh. No. 
It is Tom Cleverly. Yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> Tom, Tom Cleverly. So I, I did. I did call out a bit more difficult this week. Um, Tom so Cleverly. he had a, a loan move to Wigan while he's at United. Came I don't back remember that Wigan back. move. Yeah, as, a, as a United player, played a couple seasons, then moved on, um, got a loan out to, to Everton, um, sorry, Aston Villa, then Everton permanently moved, wow. uh, and then he moved on to, to, to Watford. He's been to Watford for a few years, and he's still at the Watford team. Mm, okay. And there you have it. So the scores are 6-4. Connell, I'll give you that one. Even though I still in a couple of... Uh, extra clues at the end there, uh, but we'll give you that one. Mm, nice. Thank you. I appreciate that. And the <laughs> fact I at nice. least got it there with the extra bonus point questions there is uh, <laughs> something that we'll take on board. Well, I guess uh, a quick wrap up here, boys. What a, a great, uh, great show this has been. You know, maybe, maybe these international breaks won't be that bad if we go on this nostalgic trip every time because I'll tell you what, I'm actually probably going to be floating off this podcast because it's been that good, evoking all those memories. But I guess it probably goes without saying, what are we most looking forward to this week? I guess the return of the Premier League for me. Um, lucky enough that Liverpool is the early game for us Aussie viewers here in Australia. But um, yeah, I guess the return of the Premier League um, and then, of course, the return of the, the Champions League, I think, next week. So that's probably what I'm looking most forward to. Get, off, get this international football off the screens and let's get the proper stuff back on. Return of the Premier League, return of Claudio Ranieri, return of a loss for Liverpool. That will make my week. Um, so I'm still unbeaten this season. So let's get the losses back at the back at the club. Um, United at least at Leicester, massive game for us. Uh, pressure's, pressure's on. on. Pressure's, pressure's on. Pressure's on. Big time, and, and it doesn't get easier. It doesn't United get easier. Quite around Atlanta, the Champions League, and then. We go into the big ones, so um, not not long into the Liverpool game, Colonel. Cannot yeah. wait, cannot wait. <laughs> and for me, obviously, the return of Patrick Vieira to the Emirates. Uh, we host Palace this weekend, so uh, that's going to be another nostalgic moment, I guess, in line with the theme this week. So uh, looking forward to that. Just Just looking forward to having the Premier League back. Choose that game for us. 6 a.m., so I'll be up early for it. And just looking forward to some Prem football this weekend. Could you could you see a scenario where one day Vieira becomes the Arsenal manager? At this stage, no. I'm... Fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, that's all Wade has to say on the matter, clearly, because he's completely <laughs> lost reception. Uh, I guess I want to thank our listeners for joining the show this week. We hope that our... Uh, journey down memory lane has evoked some some great memories for you that it certainly has for the panelists here this evening um we thank you for your time listening this week remember to catch us on all our socials at what the football podcast on facebook catch us on twitter as well as um podbean and of course podcast you can find us on apple as well so thank you for another week of listening to us We will see you next week when we hear another episode of What the Football Podcast brought to you by Conway T, your host, and of course my co-hosts, Rudds and Wade. Until then, enjoy the football.